the ups and downs of life, and we have endured, like David just said, we you know endured January. So here we are, and we get to uh, dig into a little bit more of Malachi. So I'm glad you're here to to uh, participate in this. This has a line in it that has been a stalwart, a a strong statement that has impacted people's lives for centuries. And remember, Malachi is 400 years before Christ, so in the last book of the Old Testament, so we have uh, a lot of history between the time this was put down, and, and we get it, and Malachi was there ministering to the people of Israel. So we are going to open this thing up, and we will hit that uh, line, and when we do, it's going to be um, maybe revolutionary for many, because this is a it's a it's a powerful thing. It grabs people in in our particular time, and we may have blown off everything else we've read in Malachi, because we don't have priests, we don't have a temple, we don't really care. Uh, what happened in Jerusalem 400 years before Christ, and we're way down the road from all of that. So, you know, it may have not grabbed your heart or your experience or something that you really thought about much, but we're going to hit something in this part of Malachi that will. And so it's going to, it's going to rock some things. And uh, I'm calling this Guard Your Heart. Because there is an overwhelming message here, and it undergirds it, it is interlaced, and it it covers it. So there's a lot that we're going to uh, discover as we go through this. So th- we're going to start at Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, Betrayal. Are we not all children of the same Father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? And, and, you know, we're all children of the same Father, same God. We can, but that applies to us, even those outside of Israel. So the people of Israel, the people of, of Judea at this time, that's who he's talking to. He's not directly speaking to us. So he's speaking to the people who were there in Jerusalem or in Judea at the time. This is the southern kingdom of Israel. And he's saying, we're, you know, this is, this is our God. This is Yahweh. This is our covenant God who has spoken to Moses. He set us up through our father Abraham. So we've got a, a genetic connection back to Abraham. We have a faith connection back to Abraham with Moses and, and David, and we're all part of this covenant. Those are our, our ancestors. That's different than us. You know, we, we don't have that same. We have the faith connection. We don't have the genetic or the patriotic or what. It, we don't belong to their nation. So we're way down the road on that. But it helps to see there's an issue here. They were supposed to be 
treating their nation, their faith nation and their nation, and, and it goes into more than that, with a respect and a commitment. They were supposed to be caring. They were supposed to be faithful to those things. And they were not. So why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? So let me give you a little, uh, take you back a little bit further. So the book of Deuteronomy, this is back in Moses' day. So we're, we're backing up another thousand years. And this is some of the information that they had. And this is what they're working with. It is about worshiping God. And, and we're in a church and, and we just had worship music. And you think, well, sure, that's what you do. You know, it's pretty easy, even for Christians, by Monday, Tuesday, and surely by Wednesday, to forget the worshiping God part. Even, you know, driving down the road or doing your job or your activities and, and your, you know, the worshiping part kind of, yeah, I don't know, but maybe, maybe late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, I'll think about it again. But for now, I'm going to take a break. The idea is that we never take a break. It's 24-7. It's a lifetime thing. We're making a commitment, and that's, it's, it's about worshiping God. So Moses is laying this out for the people of Israel. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's about worshiping God. You must not intermarry with them. Who? These other people who are all around you. You're the people of Israel. You're supposed to be listening to God. You worship him, the one true God, the most high God. That's your God, Yahweh. You worship him. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. For they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. They have gone into the land to get rid of the people who would not listen to the Most High God. They continued in rebellion to worship other gods, the small g gods, which is what we just saw. And the instruction from the Lord is, don't marry them. You marry them, and they will lead you away, and you will begin to worship these other gods. You will give in at some point, and, and don't let your kings do that. That's another at another section. Don't let your kings add many wives, because they will be tempted to go worship other gods, which happens with Solomon. So it, it, this, and then it just continues. So he knew it was coming. And the possibility of people just turning their back on the Lord and doing their own thing, that's so real. So that's, that's what he's saying. It's, I, I want you to worship so that I can bless you, so I can bring the very best in life to you, and you will be an example to all the nations that the Most High God is the God, and all the others have rebelled. They are all leading people in a different direction, and they are all going to lead people into destruction. And I want to turn that around. So here's the covenant. Here's the situation. Don't marry those other women. Men, women, don't marry outside of this group because that temptation is going to be too strong. We get that and, uh, okay, all right. So let's follow. Uh, First Samuel, a little bit later in terms of years, they're in the land. Samuel is now helping uh, lead them as a prophet. 
as a, as a priest, as a representative of the Lord. He's speaking to the people of Israel. And he gives them this in 1 Samuel 15. Rebellion's bad. It's just a bad thing. So here it is. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. You ever think of that? Because, you know, people you know rebel. You don't, but those other people do. And as sinful as witchcraft, that's following after those who are... The witchcraft is connected to other gods, to demonic forces. And he said, you're going after them again. The Most High God is calling you to follow him. Well, what about stubbornness? Yeah, just like worshiping idols. You're not worshiping the Lord. You're not listening. You're not pursuing him. It's not that 24-7, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. No, I'm just going to rebel. I'm just going to laze around. I'm just going to uh, just be stubborn. I'm just going to do it my way. As bad as worshiping idols. How bad is that? He just sent the nation of Israel in to decimate entire clans of people who have rebelled and will not turn because they're worshiping idols. They're worshiping the gods who have turned on God himself. The other gods that he put in charge to do good and they decided to not. And he says, we're not, no, we're not going to do that. We need to set up a new way of understanding this relationship so that we can have real goodness in the land, real goodness for people, real goodness for families to live in. And they go, I don't know. Rebellion. We got rebellion. We got stubbornness. I I want you to see how terrible it is that those things exist because we will excuse it for ourselves. We will excuse it for our children. We will excuse it for our best friends. And God says, no. And the anger of the Lord will burn against you. So we have uh, God's opinion of that approach. He says, don't, don't violate these covenants. I've got something better for you. Didn't don't betray these important things. So we pick this up again back in Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. And this is uh, mangled because of marriage. Judah has been unfaithful. Now, Judah is the southern tribe and, and tribes. It's represented here. The northern tribes have already been carried off. So there's two tribes left in the south of Israel, the northern tribes, the ten tribes in the north have been carried off by Assyria. They're gone because they wouldn't listen to the Lord. So here's, here's Judah. Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. And you go, shouldn't you just be nice? Just accepting. Come on. What is the big deal? Remember the world collapsed as a result of sin. It's broken. People are broken. There's death because people said, I don't want to do it God's way. Shouldn't we just be accepting and affirming and, and you know, what tree we eat from is up to us. It's, it's all really 
Isn't it all relative? We, we kind of decide what our truth is. And God says, no, not really. I'm God. And I'm telling you, this is the way. This is the truth. This is life. And I want that for all people. I want it for all of my beings, the heavenly beings as well. But many of them rebelled and went their own way. And so they came to earth and created another rebellion. And people have listened to them rather than the one true God. They've turned their back on him. How bad is it if people join with them and go their own way? It led to the flood. The earth was destroyed. It's led to cities being burned. It's led to destruction. And, and people, you read it in the, or see it in the news today. Why would the father go in and murder his own children, kill his wife, and then himself? Why is it that those who are worshiping other gods are destroying whole societies? And yet, well, let's be affirming and accepting. And God's saying, no, I've got something better. I have something better for families. I have something better for nations. I want you to live the best life possible. These others have lied. Other gods, the other demonic forces have lied and led people in another direction. So... Yeah, let's not, let's not make friends and connect with them. Judah's been unfaithful. Detestable things been done. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. So again, because we're, you know, intelligent and scientific and we're thousands of years re- removed from these things, we go, yeah, yeah. Those gods, those demons do not die. They have, they're still around, the same ones. may go by different names, and they may be hiding, but they're around, and they're still causing havoc, and God still is concerned because he still wants us to enjoy the very best. And Jesus came to turn that thing around, move it into another direction so that we can enjoy life to the fullest. So there's something about marriage. That's where we're picking this up. This goes to the home, to, to the people in the home. And it affects, Judah has been unfaithful, detestable thing has been done in Israel and Jerusalem. We're talking about a nation, we're talking about a city. What is it? Well, there's some men who married women who are worshiping idols. Because that's a serious thing. It sent the world into turmoil. It's caused brokenness from one end to the other. Yeah, that's an issue. That's where we are. But it gets it down to marriage. That's why we need to we need to look at this. Malachi two thirteen. Here, here's another thing you do: you cover the Lord's altars with tears and groaning because He pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You're going. I I want something. I want something good out of all of this. And this and, and the Lord's not accepting me. And but we're doing our thing our way. And it, and then. We want him to uh, come through on our behalf. Uh, you want good things from God, but you've not been good. Verse 14, Malachi 2.14. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. So, and, and this is addressed, you, you 
gathered at the beginning. It's it's addressed to the men who have done this, uh, gone these directions. But he he is up. God is upset with them because they have come before him, made vows in the name of God before the face of God, and then gone their own direction. They've been unfaithful, and he is he is not happy with their approach to this at all. I love this out of Proverbs chapter 5. There's supposed to be a whole different attitude between these men and their wives. So it's, you find it there. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And that's what he's reflecting back on. Here's the wife of your youth. You made these vows before God. In the face of God, you said, we're going to worship him. We're going to live our lives before him. And the blessing is in this relationship. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's what they're supposed to do. Instead of treating them the way they have and they, they've done a detestable thing. I mean, there's just this betrayal that's unfolding. This sets a different kind of a, of a standard and about the relationship. Isaiah 40 or Isaiah 54 verses 5 through 8 this is the Lord in Israel. This is God's this is this is putting it into a different perspective. This is, this is God saying I am I'm going to be the husband and Israel's going to be my wife. So he's putting it into that framework. Much of that imagery when you're reading reading through scripture it's not just about a physical marriage. It's because there's something else going on. This is done in the face of God. This is done to accomplish God's purposes. It's far beyond what we typically would would say this represents marriage. It is a spiritual thing. It's often uh, representative, allegorical. It's representing something big. So that's Isaiah. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with great compassion, I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So there's that imagery of God marrying Israel, that that there's a relationship there of closeness, intimacy, of caring and love. And he's putting that picture out there to say, this is is how this works. It carries over into the New Testament. We pick it up in Ephesians with the bride of Christ there. And Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. It's supposed to be this relationship. The husband and wife are supposed to have a relationship with God, submitting to the Holy Spirit. That's all in Ephesians 5. They submit to the Lord in that new contract a relationship between each other, that contract contract exists under the umbrella of Christ, of God. It's representative. It's supposed to bring light to the world. That relationship, 
is to bring light to the world so that the people around you, the children in your marriage, the people around you can see that God is God, that Yahweh is Yahweh, that Christ is Christ, that there is some light available, there is hope available, and they can see it because of a relationship of a husband who's loving his life as Christ loved the church, and this whole bride of Christ thing is just unfolding. So it's imagery that is supposed to be lived out in every Christian home. How are we doing? Every Christian home. What is number one? It's under the relationship with God. What if a husband doesn't get it, doesn't really walk with God, doesn't really lead the family in this deeper walk with the living Christ? Remember that whole, I'm going to burn you thing? Yeah, it's going to fall apart. There's no light there. It's a black hole that sucks the light out of everything, out of each other, around the neighborhood. He's offering something so amazing that this relationship is unlike any other. God connected with Israel. He says, I'm coming in like a husband. What's the example? The husband is providing, protects, has a goal that is unbelievably good for the wife. And that's where he's taken her. That's what God intended. And that's what Christ intends, to love the wife like Christ loves the church. You go, huh. We may need to work on that because that is a high bar. And he expects us to do that because we are representing him on earth. Who else is going to do it? Who else is available to do it? Who else is called to do it? We are presented with this incredible opportunity. Look at this from Revelation 21, 9 through 11. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. There is a relationship. God is bringing his people in the end, the new heaven, new earth, new everything. He's remaking, and the bride of Christ is there. This is no short-term thing. It's not just imagery from the past. This is the thing that exists now and will exist always, and it's coming. The bride of Christ is going to be seated right there. We get to be part of all of that with all that he's bringing. But he's not just throwing out, here's some basic, you know, be nice to each other, uh, common uh, courtesy, let's just... Let's just see how, what kind of level romantic thing we can come up with, like a Hallmark movie. This is the deepest, most relevant, most powerful relationship that exists on earth and will extend 
into eternity. And God says, get it right. Get it right. So he's laying that out for you. The Lord made you one, Malachi 2.15. So we're back to the, that chapter. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife and body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal. And, and by the way, loyal does not mean perfect, without fault, without issues. It just means loyal. So underline that. Loyal to the wife of your youth. Loyal to the, to the God of heaven. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? No, I did because, you know, I married her and, you know, we went on a honeymoon. We did our... Did God do this or did you do this? And he's saying, no, that's not how that works. In body and spirit, you are your own. No, in body and spirit, you are his. You may be picking picking up a theme that God is involved in this. And he is... He's looking for people who are going to be faithful, who are going to be loyal, who are going to follow through, who are going to listen to him. Rebellion is as witchcraft. That's a sin. That's worshiping other gods. He is not in favor. So the stubborn, the rebels, those who want to do it their own way, who do not listen, he says, I'm going to make it really bad, and I'll fire up the torches, and the burning will come. And... Again, that's imagery for some bad days. And it's about to roll. Here's the line that people turn to. Malachi 2.16, guard your heart. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Where I want to take you with that is, uh, oh, let me give you the line. So God says, I hate divorce. So in uh, church history or church counseling or church whatever you come up with, the I hate divorce come, becomes the thing. So if you've ever been in a, in a church that is really building on that, then anybody who's ever had a divorce is treated like, an alien, like less than, you ever, ever experienced or seen that? There's judgment, and it comes in big and hard, and there are churches that if somebody's been divorced, they, they maybe can be a, a member of the church. Sometimes they, that's not even allowed, but if they can come in and be a member of the church, they can never serve and leadership in a church because they've been divorced. Because God said, I hate divorce. Well, there's more. There are other verses. But this is a big one. This is huge. What do we do with something like that? What do we do with a line like that? Where do we go? There are two things that are unfolding in Malachi. And there are two groups of women. The first group is a group of foreign women who worship other gods. That's, that's one bunch. And, and he doesn't break it down, and often this happens in Scripture. He just keeps going because they understood what he was talking about. But, you know, 400 years before Christ, and, and 
and today there's there's a lot of difference and so what you think about is whatever you're going through today and what you know about in the last years however long you've been alert enough to understand marriages and divorce and so you're going to input your experience and your thoughts immediately and i hope i can rip that apart right about now to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. One group is worshiping false gods. This one who's being overwhelmed with cruelty is the Jewish wife that made vows before God. They had gathered together. She was faithful to the Lord and continued to be faithful because he had just said that earlier. She's been faithful. You've been unfaithful. And now you get rid of her. And they came up with these... Uh, guidelines for divorce like women can't divorce men that's one however if she burns the stew the guy can divorce her or if he finds another who's more favorable to him you can see how that works so who voted for that oh I was just troubled with, you know, who could have done that. There's the system. And God's in heaven going, what? So there are the, and, and this is during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. They've come back. They've built the, the, the walls of Jerusalem. They've put the temple back in. Malachi's down the road a little piece from them. But what happened then, because I, wanna, I want you to understand the divorce thing, God divorces his wife, Israel, too. He hates divorce because it hurts people. But he divorces Israel. So is he totally opposed? No, there's a place for it. What about all the foreign women who were worshiping other gods who were part of the people of Israel when they came to, to, to put back Jerusalem and build a temple? They said, you're going to have to let them go. And the children of those marriages. Got to go. But I hate divorce means never, ever, no way, Jose, do you, there's nothing about this that ought to happen. That ain't so. It does happen. When? And Jesus gets into it and says, well, you know, unfaithfulness. Yeah, wouldn't that do it? Isn't this about loyalty? So if you break the loyalty... We no longer have the oneness. We no longer have that connectedness. Is there a possibility of coming back? Restoration? Yeah. Because God said, you know, we just read that in Isaiah. I'm taking you back. He sends Hosea out, you know. Mary's Gomer, which is like the most beautiful wife's name ever. <laughs> Go marry her. And then she takes off. She's unfaithful and comes back. And he just gives that example. I'm taking... Is there a place where there's going to be a divorce and it's not going to happen, continue? Yeah. And Deuteronomy 24 says you can give a woman a certificate of divorce. And that was, in that culture, a, a paper stating that they are legit. They can, they can go live their life. Without that paper, they were stuck because then they were considered adulterous. So that... And again, in Deuteronomy 24, you can have that. Jesus says, well, I'll, uh, God allowed that because of the hardness of your hearts. 
are, are people less hard, hardened today, even thousands of years later? No, no, nope. There was a kindness in that, in, within the culture, so it, it could work. God was coming up with some way of protecting the women, which is what he's addressing in Malachi. Again, you're being cruel, and these are the ones who aren't the foreign women worshiping other gods. These are the Jewish women who have married legitimately, but the men have been unfaithful. There's an issue. And he's addressing it. He said, don't do that. Be faithful. Be loyal. Be be committed to the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. He's brought people together to accomplish his good so that people can see the light of the living God in opposition to all of the other gods and demons and the practices of evil among human beings. We've got something here that stands out and it's remarkable and it's filled with love and it's filled with loyalty and that's how it ought to be. So that's what he's presenting. I hate divorce, he says, because he's talking about that that wife who just gets treated badly. She burnt the toast. It didn't go well that day. And the guy just sends her off. Well, if she doesn't have that paper because he just sent her off, she's not protected. She's seen as an an adulteress, which is uh, later Jesus deals with some of that. And you've sent these women off and now... She's an adulterer because you divorced her and because they didn't follow the the legal requirements. Probably more info than you needed, but there you go. (laughs) Despised and humiliated, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good. In the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, Where is the God of justice? So here are these women who are suffering under these guys who are just divorcing them. Now, the faithful guys are supposed to not marry the women who are worshiping other gods. So that's, an, that's one issue. The other one is the cruelty of divorcing these women and just sending them off because whatever whim they had that day. So we got all kinds of things mixed into Malachi chapter 2. And it's a whole lot more than just printing I hate divorce on a magnet and putting it on your refrigerator and say that's the rule for now and for always. And that means anybody who divorces for any reason, any time, needs to be treated horribly. And that's because we love Jesus. Not, Not even close. This is about a relationship under the banner of the living God who desires something more. Loyalty and love practice between a man and a woman. And God is bringing thing, incredible things about. And he says, what do you, want? you know, what do I want from this? I want godly children from your union. You go, okay, just increasing the population. Go back to Genesis What was the first thing he said to the only two humans on the planet? Oh, multiply. Because he wants a bigger family. He wants more. What kind of family? Rebellious ones? No. It's real clear in Malachi. I want godly children. Where do you find those? Well, you train them up. You live this life before them. They get to see a husband loving his wife, leading her closer to the Lord. She's a 
so much in love with him and so much in love with the Lord that this thing just lights up the neighborhood and the children are caught up in it. And, and now you've got godly children who are going to have godly children who are going to have godly children. That's the idea. Let's just keep adding these families for the increasing the population for the Lord. So how, how can we get there? Well, sometimes you've got to cut off those who are worshiping false gods. That requires, divorce means to cut off, like death. It means to cut off. Does that need to happen? Yeah. Are there times when we're just not, we're just not walking with the Lord? Even if we went and got married in a church and somebody said the words and did the thing and you go, we're just not. We got some issues and we blow it and we sin and we go our own way. And that rebellion, that stubbornness and just let me know if there's any stubbornness, rebellion in your household. I ain't listening to the Lord. I ain't doing it that way. I'm not forgiving. I am ticked off. I've been angry for 22 years. And I ain't giving it up now. And you go, huh. So he's going to pat us on the head and say, aren't you cute? Keep it up. Because that's the way families go. No, he's saying... You know what? You may have to move on from this. There may be a time when one or the other has to move on and go walk with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul begins to deal with the issue of marriage in the early church, remember, there weren't a bunch of Christians around. It's a brand new thing. So one of the partners, like in Corinth, comes to Christ. Well, the other one is either worshiping in a Jewish synagogue or they're worshiping apollo or athena or some other god so there's something else going on and he says so if you're married and you're a believer and the unbeliever wants to leave let them go but you don't have to bail on them you don't have to just divorce them so this is a little different than the the ones we have in malachi or ezra it's a little different there were no christians i mean this is a new thing so they okay you've You've got somebody in your life and your, your marriage who worships other God. Give them a chance. You're following Jesus now. You're learning new truth. Just your presence in the marriage may just bring them to the Lord. If they want to leave, they can leave. Don't you leave them just because you've come to the Lord. Give them, give them a chance. Same thing for the kids. It, just because you came to the Lord, that is like putting them in this protected bubble where they can hear more about truth, about Jesus, about grace, and they experience it because the Spirit's going to be working through that person. So they can experience love and in a different way. So all of those things exist. But the, but the thing that's covering all of these things is a heart for the Lord that says, I'm going to love the Lord with all of my heart. And, and you know what the word all means. All of my heart, all of my mind, I'm going, to put, I'm going to put thought out. I'm going to intentionally think about this. How can I do this? And how can I do it in my marriage and these relationships and raising godly children? How can I do that? I'm going to think that through. All my heart, all my strength, all my mind. I'm going to put myself into this thing, and I'm going to see what God does because it's going to alter the universe. My part in this will alter 
the universe. That's what he's called us to. It's amazing that he cares about it. Now for guard your heart above all else. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. If that heart is set on something else, it's not set on the Lord, it's not set on loyalty, it's not set on uh, following through on these relationships the way the Lord has outlined it. I'm going to allow other gods, other thoughts, other philosophies, uh, intrigues and drama to dictate my life. I'm going to miss it. And here he is saying, now guard your heart. There's more to this. And it's not these hard and fast rules we can print up and then treat people awfully. That's not it. It's about guarding your heart, being loyal to the Lord in all of these instances. And it's much wider, much more beautiful than we have often allowed. And he says, guard your heart. Where is it drawn? Where does it stop? Where, where are you not allowing your love to flow? Where is it that your heart is, is disloyal? Where it's rebelling? So that, that's a that's a totally different approach, a different change. And we are called to do that above all else. It starts with us individually. And then when we get into the marriage relationship, which is what he's dealing with here, we're bringing that with us. And then through the iron sharpening iron part of grating on each other, hopefully we... we bring ourselves to a greater appreciation of who God is and what he's doing and what he's doing in us and through us. What if it comes to an end? It comes to an end. Is that, are we still one? Are we married forever and ever? No. It came to an end. Divorce is divorce. It's the death of a marriage. It comes to an end. We don't carry that on. It is now, do I walk with the Lord or do I not? What if I didn't follow the rules and, and I divorced on my own wisdom? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, have we been a little rebellious? Have we not listened? Have we not cared? Have we been disloyal? Have we failed? Probably. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He will restore us. He will put us back in his favor when we own those things. And then we move into a relationship with loyalty and love. And we guard our hearts. And it's a bigger, broader picture that puts all of these things back together so that we can accomplish what he intended in the first place to have godly marriages, godly children, and a godly space, making a godly difference. In an ungodly world. That's what we get to do. So guard your hearts. Every day. Guard your hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being patient. Patient with us when we don't understand or rebel against you or struggle. Thank you for loving us and having a bigger, better plan than we could possibly imagine. Thank you for... Uh, coming alongside us and walking with us when we, when we listen, when we allow it. 
so that we can get these things right and so that we can live a blessed life and be a blessing to those around us. Lord, thank you for uh, the scriptures which guide us into all truth. And Lord, help us to guard our hearts above all else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.